as was mentioned earlier, how thankful we are each, no doubt, to be able to assemble and to gather on this beautiful Lord's Day morning. We realize those statements of the Word of God encouraging us, yea, to re recognize the importance of a meeting like this one when you and I can come together and worship the only true and living God. Paul stated in Acts the 17th chapter, he preached so majestically and powerfully, it's in Him that we live and move and have our very being. And today, as Brother Glenn mentioned earlier, we're so thankful for our membership and our visitors that have come our way. We hope that you'll find a sound congregation. All of us desire to be that which God would find pleasing and that which would provide a worship that in fact He will accept. This morning, as you may have noted in the reading, we're going to consider a lesson with a single one word as its title. As you can see on the wall to my left, it's this one. I hope that if you have your Bible, you'll revisit with me those early chapters in Genesis as we look interestingly at a concept that's described there on a number of occasions. The concept of being naked. When you and I think about that this morning and we give consideration to it, let me be quick to say that it's my strong desire to certainly be discreet to present matters in a way that would be in keeping with the decorum of the moment and the hour. But there are certainly some matters of encouragement for you and me to consider with seriousness the land and the world in which we live. We understand the rampant pornography that's around us. Televisions, magazines, the presentation on the internet, just to name a very, very selected few. And so many cases we see in public choices that individuals make in terms of wearing clothing that is certainly not acceptable in the eyes of God. That's the reason I chose the title that I did. I'd like you to study with me for a few moments as a constant reminder, a matter encouraging us to keep in view that which would be the proper selections and some ideas that would be in keeping with scriptural truth. You'll notice on this slide, there ain't no one of us that with any thought would question or doubt the grandeur of the human body. The frame that you and I have been given by God's creative activity is truly a marvelous and majestic thing. Wasn't it true the psalmist said in verse 14 of Psalm 139, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. David on that occasion was discussing the very frame, the human body. And he said it's marvelous. Maybe the marvel of it brings us to what's at the bottom. When you and I think about the interworking capacity of the body, its organs and the systems that comprise it, we can't help but be impressed. God made it. And needless to say, God's concerned with the behavior, the conduct, the presentation of it. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20 says, Therefore glorify God in your body and in your mind, which are God's. If it belongs to Him and He has the exclusive right to dictate, we should be so interested, yea, so concerned with its appearance. As we study this matter this morning, what about the public display of the human body? God is very concerned about that. So much so that a number of passages will lead us to appreciate some of its details. But I'd like you to revisit with me that very set of verses and a few others there in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And as we look at Genesis chapters 1 through 3, remembering the saga of the creation, I've highlighted some of the features on that slide. 
You remember that through the first five point some odd days of God's creation, He had fashioned this inanimate universe. He had made plant life on day three. He'd fashioned animal life in the oceans and the air on day five. Even on day six, He had fashioned land-dwelling creatures. But yet we notice the greatest was yet to come. For then it says, The Lord God made man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. He created Adam. He created the man. Very much unlike any of the animals he had made. For man was not an animal then, and he never has been. The human being is made in the God's image. That wasn't said of any animal. But yet with regard to Adam, we've noticed that Adam was alone and God took a rib from his side after putting Adam to sleep and from that rib he made a woman. We remember then that Adam made of the dust of the ground. Eve, of course, fashioned from that rib of Adam's side. And as we think about the nature of what then the appreciation was made, they were married, the man and his wife. But this interesting statement is found in the closing verse of chapter 2, Genesis 2, verse number 25. It says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. I would ask you to notice, they were both naked. Isn't it interesting? Of all the attributes and of all the features and of all the considerations that one might have thought could well be, have been listed, here the creation has just happened and the first marriage has taken place. And yet the Holy Spirit has seen fit to highlight an interesting fact. Neither Adam nor Eve were wearing any clothes. They were absolutely naked. The Hebrew word means nude. It means exposed. They were naked. But you'll notice something else. They were not ashamed. That word ashamed literally means in the Hebrew to be ashamed, and yet we notice they were thus not ashamed. There was nothing inappropriate about their presentation of themselves. There was nothing out of decorum with respect to the fact that at that time, here they were, absolutely nude, and there was nothing improper about it. I would ask you to notice, though, as you look further on that slide, what an amazing appreciation of the innocency of that moment. Here were two full-grown human beings. God fashioned them that way, absolutely presenting all aspects of their bodies. They were naked. But think of the innocency. That's all about to change as we come to the next set of verses. You'll notice the very first verse in chapter 3 now brings the devil into the scene of things. He enters into conversation with Eve. As that conversation develops, she is brought to appreciate that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden. She observes that its fruit looks so tempting. She observes that no doubt not only to the eye but to the taste, it's very desirable and delectable. And not only that, the devil has her or causes her to believe that she will be made wise by the partaking of it. In fact, even so that she'll be like a god. She succumbs to the temptation partakes of that forbidden fruit, gives to Adam, and he eats of it too. Now notice the momentous event that has transpired. All of creation, in the sense of its impact and the nature of its development, has changed with respect to one thing. Look at this. Immediately after they've sinned, immediately after transgressing God's law, what's the first thing that came out of their mouths, Adam and Eve? 
You'll notice they didn't look about and again comment on the greatness of the garden. They didn't comment on the attribute of the other features of their existence. The first absolute thought was this one. Verse number 7 of Genesis 3. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. As great an event as had happened, and how sad it was. The absolute tragedy of it. And the very first observation that's made is now they knew they were naked. And the verse goes on to say they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now that innocency was gone. What they had appreciated previously before sin entered into the allotment of their lives, in the innocency of that time there was no issue or problem with their nakedness. But now... The eyes, it says, of them both were opened. They had an appreciation of the impropriety of public exposition of the human body, at least portions and parts of it. You'll notice their first activity was to start trying to cover themselves up. The text says they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. As you notice at the bottom of that slide, we might be of some interest to ask about the character of the clothing they made. That Hebrew word that's translated apron literally means a belt, a loin covering, or a girdle. It would appear then that that which they made covered a very small portion of the most private parts of the body. And that's all. Much perhaps along the line of undergarments of of our present day, I suppose. The fact is they tried to conceal or cover those portions. That moment of innocence that they had enjoyed for some amount of time previously was no longer there. Even they understood now that public display of portions of the body is not appropriate. Might we say even beyond that, that those features allow our discussion to continue. You'll notice something interesting. After all, now we notice in verse number 8, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Question, have you ever wondered why they hid amongst the trees? If they'd made themselves clothing, those aprons as the King James calls it, why did they not consider themselves appropriately clothed to appear before God? The fact is, it seems even they understood clothing of that minimal area was not enough to not still be called naked. For look at the next verse. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. Adam still called himself naked despite the fact he had a minimal amount of clothing on. Isn't that amazing? Here was Adam. His eyes had been opened, Eve's as well. In order to conceal or cover the nakedness, he made some aprons. But now as God approached, he said, I still hid myself, for I still am naked. Isn't it amazing as one reflects upon the clothing that Adam and Eve found themselves with at the moment, and yet the clothing choices that some in our present day still make. You'll notice at the top of that slide, What was that moment that made this dramatic transition? Naked and innocent before sin entered the world, but now naked and not innocent anymore. The entrance of sin changed things when it came to this, didn't it? 
And it changed it fundamentally in such a way we cannot go back. Amazingly, as you'll notice at the bottom of that slide, I would ask you to notice that God then stepped into this. And He did so in a very profound way. You'll notice that now conversation was had between God and these others. He punished the man. He punished the serpent. He punished Eve. He stated on them some lasting consequences of that which they had done. But then you'll notice verse number 21 says, Unto Adam, also unto his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. Those aprons that they had made were not satisfactory clothing. They were not sufficient. And hence God rectified, remedied that situation by making coats of skins. That word has to do with tunics, long flowing robes. God covered much more of the body with what He made than they did with their aprons. That's still a great lesson, isn't it, about God's desire that the body be appropriately clothed. And yet in our day, there seemingly are so many manufacturers and others who parade the human body in public ways, displaying in many ways what is not left of the imagination at all. It just ought not be so. In the very first few chapters of the Bible, God laid down a lasting stamp in which the human frame needs to be appropriately concealed. As you and I continue to study this for the remainder of the lesson this morning, Maybe as we think about Adam and Eve and we think about some later ways that the Bible addresses this, we're going to begin by looking at the loss of that innocence. And we're going to develop it like this. When you and I think about this matter of nakedness, and we appreciate that word that the Bible uses on so many occasions... Let's try and give it some more interesting appreciation as we think about the impression of it. What does it mean to be naked? We've already learned that Adam had some clothing on and still was naked. Is it still possible today for individuals to have on some amount of clothing and yet from God's perspective to still be naked? I think you and I shall find that answer to be yes. For right now, why don't we move along this, this movement? You notice that nakedness, as the later chapters in the Word of God will develop for us, is a matter of serious import. It is not to be taken lightly. In Genesis chapter number 9, we find on that occasion that Noah made a great mistake. After the events of the ark, he came down back onto dry land. It says that he began to grow those grapes, or at least those, the fruits of the ground, and he became drunk on it. And yet he lay naked. One of his sons saw his nakedness. One of his sons witnessed it. And a curse was placed upon Ham because of it. The other two sons walked in backward carrying a cloth and covered up their dad. And we noticed that they were not cursed. Notice Ham's the one that witnessed, that saw the nakedness of his father. One more time, we see an impressiveness in terms of the situation and its severity. It is not a light matter to go about naked, is it? In this instance, look at what else we should then conclude. In Exodus chapter 20, notice the last verse of that chapter. Exodus chapter 20, verse number 26. As God gave statements to the children of Israel, this was at the very scene when they, of course, were surrounding the actual Mount Sinai, and God was delivering to them the greatness of the commandments. Among them, God said this, 
Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar, that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. Think about what might otherwise be the innocency of that time. Suppose that in that day of worship a high altar had been built with lots of steps. As a person climbed those steps, although perhaps having nothing to think about it, maybe someone still standing at the base would have a view of what ought not to be seen, namely the private parts of the person. Here was a scene, an instant in which it would appear that God in fact embedded in His laws the consideration that one ought to take pains and to take care that even accidentally parts of the body ought not to be seen. Appropriate clothing needed to be worn. As this was directed to those who would climb up, of course, those steps, the priest needed to be aware of this. You'll notice in addition to that, that word naked is used a number of other times in the Bible, both Old and New Testament. We shall look at some of them. As you give thought to them, maybe it's time to ask, what about those private parts of the body, those parts that apparently need to be carefully concealed? I think all of us would agree. To not conceal the hand doesn't seem to be an issue. Or maybe to not conceal the top of the head, even if a person's bald, that doesn't seem to be a big issue. But there are parts of the body that do not fall into that category. Let's look at this development. In Exodus 28, Verse, beginning in verse 42, we have this statement made. Again, although occurring within the days of the Old Testament and occurring within the confines of that law of Moses, this statement having to do with nakedness was, it was in fact made. Verse 42 says, And thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness. And notice the definition. From the loins even unto the thighs they shall reach. Now you'll notice that God had given commandments relative to certain clothing, namely breeches. You and I might call them pants or breeches that these gentlemen were to wear. And He says, I want them to cover from the loins to the thighs. You'll notice there was a part of the body then that was highlighted in that verse that attached to nakedness. That part of the body, if it's exposed, is nakedness. I want clothing to cover that. Now you and I ask, what's, what is this region from the loins to the thighs? We know very well what that is. And we understand carefully then that in light of a verse like that one, this is a private area. It is no one's business but myself and my, my scriptural mate. It is such that you and I then should take great care to cover from, again, the midsection to a decently long position on the thighs. That which falls in between, God said, is nakedness if it's exposed. No wonder in light of that appreciation, these priests and yea, the, the, the rank and file members of the children of Israel were encouraged to keep strongly in view and in mind the thought of what constituted nakedness on that occasion. Maybe another comment or two. Later on, we notice in Isaiah chapter 20, another word used in light of at least the hind part of the body as it relates to that. It's the buttocks. That too, if it's exposed, is nakedness. And it needs to always, ever be concealed. The concealment of it then reminds us this was serious for the children of Israel. They were reminded on these occasions and yea, others as well about what constituted nakedness 
And now you and I can see that in His Word there are some verses that at least lead us to appreciate it. As you and I think about that element in nakedness, you might appreciate this as well. When you and I think about the frame of the human body, we understand so very well that, of course, males and females are very different. That difference leads us to also understand this too. On the female body, the Bible has some observations about others. And again, let me say that I use only a term as the King James will use it. It is that area on the upper part of a woman's body. The Bible, the book of Proverbs, on many occasions makes reference to this area. And it is openly to be noted that it too correlates to nakedness. I would ask you to note the following. In Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 through 19, we have an amazing statement about the blessedness of marital sexuality, a man and his wife. And we are told on that occasion that that part of her body is his enjoyment. It is for his eyes and nobody else. May I say that we live in an age and a time when it seems as though that is far from the typical consideration. Isn't it true that it seems as though many choose to want to display what's theirs? They want others to appreciate their sexy body, but that simply is not approved by God. As you look at a verse like that one, doesn't it highlight the fact we must be careful about the garments we select, males as well as females, to make sure that those parts recognized as what God would call nakedness are not for display. That kind of discussion leads us to note the bottom. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 3, we're reminded on that occasion how one more time that portion of the female body often can bring about thoughts and imaginations and things which simply are not wholesome and good and they need to be concealed, that section of the body. May I suggest to you there are several choices then you and I must make. If we are to be pleasing to God, if we are to in fact live in a way with our clothing that's respective of that which He would find pleasing, here are just some very quick observations. We've studied about Adam and Eve and we've looked at these identifications of nakedness. What about the word modest? I use that word because the Holy Spirit did in 1 Timothy 2 verse 9. He said there that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. So what does it mean for apparel to be modest? That word literally means dress which is characterized by respectability, appropriateness, and yea, our modern word modesty. I suppose then that suggests that when we remove a garment from the closet, I ask, is this respectable in God's sight? And it doesn't matter what the world would assert, and it doesn't matter what friends might think. Our question is, would God find this appropriate? You'll notice that that's not the only word used. Paul used three words in that single verse, characteristic of the kind of clothing that should be chosen. Modest. And then he said, with shamefacedness. That's an unusual word in many ways, isn't it? We certainly don't use that in English very much anymore. But the word shamefacedness means that which is reverent, that is, having proper decorum, or again, an attribute of very clear, understandable modesty. The last word, the word with sobriety, has to do with soundness of mind. 
the control that one exhibits relative to this choice. It has to do with sensibleness and moderation. Another consideration that seems to fall very easily in the definition, especially as it attaches to shamefacedness, is this. Is this a garment that itself would be characteristic of and would be in relation to what does not draw attention unduly to itself? Now let me say that again. Does not draw attention unduly to itself. Now, my friend, most or at least many modern garments do the exact opposite. It exposes with the intent to draw attention to it. God says that appropriate clothing does not unduly draw attention. Much modern swimwear thus exposes what ought never be exposed. Many other choices as well. It's something to consider on many occasions, isn't it? As you look at those three words and the opportunities that they present before us, isn't it true that when one thinks about sensibility and respectability and that which is sensible and that which relates to self-control, it's very much true. Matters of clothing are as a matter of the heart. If I want to wear decent clothing, I can. But if I do not have that innate desire, then perhaps... I will not wear what would be pleasing to God. You and I, of course, live in an age when most of the time clothing choices don't seem that serious to many people. They just wear whatever they want, and culture will often go along with any choice we make. What was it that John stated? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. That text in 1 John 2, beginning in verse 15, goes on to read like this. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lusts thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The nature then of that choice to love not the world, doesn't it remind us of James 4 verse 4? Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. We must not allow culture to make our clothing choices for us. And we must not allow culture to dictate what's acceptable in regard to clothing either. For it will almost guaranteed make choices that are much, much too revealing. Surely as you close that slide with me, we've looked at only three quick observations about these rules of thumb, but let's look at some other ones too. What else about clothing seems so vital? Of course, we can go back to the days of Adam and Eve and now appreciate this. When that innocency was lost, and when we now appreciate that they considered this nakedness to be something that was concealed, we know from the teachings of the New Testament in particular that the attribute of what can cause to happen in the mind of another. Look at the scenes at the top of that slide if you would. Now I realize in general... Males and females are rather different in their perception of things. Males are in many ways a very visual creature, a very visual being. Maybe that's the reason that Jesus stated what He did in Matthew 5, 28 from the perspective of a male. He said, He that looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. 
It's a bit interesting, isn't it? Jesus didn't state that from the female perspective. It's from the male's perspective. Men often in that consideration of the visual way that they're excited and motivated. Ladies, let me speak. Be careful with what you wear. You don't want to be exciting the men around you, those that aren't your husbands. You don't want to be causing them to think what they ought not think. And fathers, we don't want our little girls to be the objects of some man's sordid thoughts either. We want her to be properly clothed. We want her to be an upstanding citizen in which all those who know and meet her will be led to think godly thoughts, not lustful ones. In Romans chapter 14, verse 21, as well as 1 Corinthians 10, 32, we're reminded on those occasions about the powerful appreciation of what can happen with respect to lust and the kind of evil that it brings. Think in this world about how many sexual crimes are committed. Now, I'm not by any means saying improper clothing is always the reason, but when individuals choose to wear what is so immodest, and it causes minds of others to go in far, far sinful directions, we should at least appreciate how evil it is to wear what God claims is not, is not approved. Maybe in light of that, look at number five, our modern clothing. Modern clothing often is advertised in a way to be sexy, isn't it? Typical catalogs that you receive at your house where some store is advertising its latest clothing line. Quite often it's encouraged in such a way that it openly presents and strives to highlight the attractiveness to look at what that part of the body is that should not be seen. No wonder we must be very careful. According to the Bible, the purpose of clothing is to cover, not to conceal, or rather not to expose. In 1 Corinthians 6, 18, two little words are used to start that verse. Paul said, flee fornication. And that word flee means literally to run. One should not dress in such a way to get as close to the boundaries you can get. We should dress with conservative nature, staying as far away from any line of problem there might be. Those kinds of choices lead us to another verse. When we think about the world and we think about what its heightened approach almost often is, we know that, of course, the devil is behind those choices that lead to this sinfulness. Who was behind Eve partaking of that fruit? She made the decision, but who tempted her? And, of course, we know not only did she partake, but Adam did too. Nakedness is a serious thing. It's a sin, improperly so, just like any others you and I might mention. But yet, as warm weather approaches, we know the time of year has come that many in our world will choose to give little thought to perhaps thoughts like we've studied today. But may you and I be far more wise. I'm reminded of that question that closes the book of Hosea in Hosea 14.9. Who is wise and he shall understand these things? Prudent and he shall know them, for the ways of the Lord are right. And the just shall walk therein, but the transgressor shall fall therein. When we think then about the human body, as excited as we are about the potential and capacity God has given it, He also has asserted the need to cover it appropriately. That covering leads us to close our lesson this morning. One final thought. We've concluded from a number of considerations going all the way back to the Garden of Eden that 
public presentation of certain parts of the body is sinful. And therefore, we need to make sure to select clothing that properly conceals it. I hope today we've been reminded that much of what God's Word says about this is so very straightforward and plain, isn't it? And as we are dutiful servants of His, and as we strive to follow Him in the way we should, we look forward to setting a good, positive Christian example before all those who may have chance to know us. Maybe today, as you consider your life, and as I consider my own, maybe nakedness is not an issue. Maybe that's something well understood, but maybe there's some other matter in life. Let me ask, if you've never obeyed the gospel initially, may we say that God loves you, so much so that He sent Jesus the Christ to die on the cross for you and for me. And if you and I will but come to Him and live faithfully, we shall be able to enjoy, of course, that marvelous promise of heaven. If you have never obeyed that gospel initially, you're commanded as well as each one to believe in Jesus as a Son of God, to repent of your sins, to confess His great name as a Son of God, and to be baptized. Today, if we could be of help to you in that regard, we'd be honored to do that. If you have become a Christian, though, at some former day and at some former time in life, maybe you have allowed thinkings of the world to dictate certain features of your behavior, maybe not necessarily nakedness, but you know that things aren't right between you and God. Why not today come back to your first love, Revelation 2 verse 5, and why not be again reinstated to a position of your faithfulness? If we could be of help to you today, we'd be delighted to do that. A song of encouragement's been chosen. And if we could be of help to you now, why not come while together we stand and while we sing?